Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Sometimes we really focus on all the things that God gives to us and we forget about the giver of all those wonderful things. And those of you that know scripture, you know that when you've accepted Christ as your savior, you've been accepted in the beloved one and all the spiritual blessings that God gives to his son, Jesus Christ, become our spiritual blessings because we're his children as well. And so it's really all about Christ and it's not so much about the blessings, although we sure thank the Lord for that. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73 that says this, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth I desire beside you because it's really all about Jesus. And to have these young people learn a song like that, understand the words, understand how that all fits together. They're really getting some good teaching in that song and they did such a fine job for them to have that spiritual ownership of it. Well, since we have so many wonderful guests that are here today, I thought I'd just tell you where we're going with this message because you're kind of coming in on part two of it. A number of weeks ago, we here at our fellowship decided that we were going to honor those in public service here on our island, which would be our law enforcement, fire and ocean safety, and then those emergency service people. And because of that, we had them come out and we gave them gifts. And of course, they heard the gospel. And we wanted to thank them for what they have done to provide the service for our safety that we have here in this island. But then I got thinking how important it would be for us who are Christians also to know that we too can be a hero and that God does speak to that, not to be a hero worshiper, but to be real heroes. And we began to unpack some, some concepts from God's word. So if you have your Bible today, you might want to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you came without a Bible, you can borrow one in the pew rack, you can look at it on the screen, you can follow your little outline if you want to do that. And so we began really looking at seven identifications of heroes, and we're going to see how we're doing in being the hero God wants us to be for him to other people here on this earth without necessarily being involved in law enforcement or fire or EMS, although those are all wonderful and we're grateful for that. But, you know, really heroes come in all different shapes and sizes. I read an article recently about a young lady And uh, this particular lady was one who really cared for her friends. And so Heather decided that she would babysit for her friend Samantha. And she babysat for the two-year-old, that would be Samantha's daughter, by the name of Hannah. And so as Heather was doing this, she got a Pop-Tart and put it in the uh, little toaster and it came out and it was too hot and she knew that would just burn the child. So she put the Pop-Tart up on the table, on the dining room table, because the little two-year-old tyke was kind of running around on the floor a little bit. And so um, so she had to go to the restroom, so she went to the bathroom. And while she was there, the bird in the house, which was a parrot named Willie, started screaming and flapping its wings and, and yelling, Mama baby, Mama baby, Mama baby, Mama baby. Well, of course, Heather never heard that the bird ever say that before, so she ran out immediately, and what had happened is little Hannah was able to get up on a chair, get up on the table, and was now chewing that Pop-Tart and was choking on it. And so Heather was there and was able to give, in an infant way, a little bit of that Heimlich maneuver and so save the life of the child. So I got thinking about that. Little parrots, so even little parrots can be, I guess, uh, what you might say... um, 
oh, I guess heroes as well. I'm reminded of another story that happened years ago where a pastor was wanting to take one of his men out and they were going to go sharing the gospel door to door. They weren't Jehovah Witnesses, but they were at a time that they wanted to share Christ with community people and they went up to this house and there was a sign that said that there was a, there was a vicious dog, beware of the dog. And so the guy that was with the pastor says, we probably shouldn't go here. He says, no, if we're real careful, I think we'll be okay. So the pastor knocked on the door and heard inside uh, a cry from the inside that said, come in, come in. And uh, he said, well, well, should we go in? Well, they said, come on in. So they opened the door. When they got, they couldn't find the person. So they thought it was an elderly person stranded in a back bedroom because in the back bedroom. It said, come in, come in. They got to the back bedroom. And when they walked into the bedroom, what did they see? It was this vicious dog and a parrot saying, sick him, sick him, sick him. I, I just had to say that. You've heard that's an old joke. But I want to move now to another more serious story. This happened to be two teachers that were in Alabama. And they had chartered for their school three charter buses that were going to take these kids to the uh, aquarium in Chattanooga. So they boarded these three charter buses, and as the kids were storing all their gear and everything, they headed out. And about an hour on this three-hour trip, as they were chatting, the two teachers in the front seat, all of a sudden the bus kind of lunged to the left and hit a guardrail, bounced off the guardrail. The kids began screaming. And Amy King looked back at the same time. Sherry Ledlow looked back and said, Kids, calm down. It's going to be all right. And then both of the teachers spun around, of course, and they looked at the driver. And what did they see? But the driver was strapped in the seat with a seatbelt, but his head was hanging down, bobbing on his chest. So Sherry, being, a, I guess, a quick person, she grabbed up to the steering wheel and she knew that this bus that was hurtling down the freeway at 70 miles an hour, crashing against the guardrail, that they would have to slowly try to maneuver this, but they couldn't get into the front seat. So she didn't want to do a jerk with the steering wheel, but they had to do something. And then they heard the hum as the wheels are now hitting those little bumper strips that you hear alongside of the, the freeway. And so they began to veer the bus over to the side. And so Amy then knew that this is not a good scene because now the bus is on two wheels instead of going into the trees in the forest now on the left it was going to go down a grassy ravine so she grabbed a hold of one of those big steel posts that they have in those buses and soon almost immediately the bus flipped over on its side flipped again kids were going everywhere she was then wrenched from the front of the bus through the windshield thrown out into the field and her friend Sherry climbed through that windshield to get to her and little Amy was saying are the children all right well, the rest of the story does get better. No one was killed out of 44 kids. 19 of them had to go to the hospital, but none of them even had a serious injury. And when her husband met her at the uh, hospital when she came out of surgery, her comment back to her husband was this. You'll need to get a substitute for me. I won't be able to be in on Monday. Well, of course, she was lauded as someone who was a hero at that time. And we never want to put down those that have had those bursts of energy, that magical, mystical moment where that they embrace that, the carpe diem, seize the moment. But I would like to speak to another type of hero. And that could be a hero that's seated in your padded chair right where you are today. That would be the kind of person who might not have that burst of energy to grab the steering wheel of a bus that's careening off the, off the highway. It might not be someone who will run into a burning building and feel the pain, pain of the blisters at trying to bring out someone who's hurt. But a real hero sometimes is the hero that you never read about. It's the one that sometimes never makes the newspaper. It's the hero that just does the right stuff 
Every single day, so daily, so moment by moment. And you might say, well, pastor, why would you call that a hero? I really would call that a hero because so few people can be counted upon for consistency of integrity and character today that they do often stand out. Although they don't get their names in the newspaper, you see them on television. And so what we're doing is we're looking at a passage of scripture where Paul, this great, great, great guy, is mentoring a pastor in Ephesus by the name of Tim, or Timothy, as you would find in Scripture. What's interesting, you have what are known as the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. But actually, it was 1 Timothy first, then Titus was written, and finally, Paul's deathbed declaration was 2 Timothy. He's in the second, what we call chapters, which is a chapter of man-made thing. He is now saying something to Timothy. And what he's doing now is preparing Timothy, in a sense, to be a hero, a real hero, someone that's going to be spiritually mature, who wants to inspire and influence other people, someone who wants to go beyond just going through life, really wanting to make a difference. And so what Paul did, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he picked seven items that were easy to see in your mind's eye, and he attached what's special about those items as perhaps object lessons of what that person could be like, and he could be a spiritual leader slash hero. And I don't want to leave you ladies out, although he's talking to Timothy, and we know that's kind of a masculine context. It was written for all of us who want to aspire to be people of influence. I don't mean people of money necessarily, but I do mean people who want to add value to other people. So last week, we covered four of them, and so I'm going to briefly bring our friends up to speed with us. Is that okay, church? Let's just kind of make sure they're not left behind. No person left behind. So we talked about you can be a real hero first. So Paul now says to this guy, Timothy, this uh, pastor he's mentoring, he says, I want you to pay attention because I'm about ready to tell you something that's very important about being a hero. And before he even identifies the first hero, he talks about how that that person, Timothy especially, under a command from God to be strengthened from within by God's grace. Now I got thinking about that for just a moment. What does it mean to be strengthened from within by God's grace for God's glory? And here's what that basically means. People can have what we call bursts of that hero thing that they do. But it takes God's continual bath of his grace, his shower of grace to keep us in a sustained mode. Now, I would like to think that I'm a pretty healthy guy. I know that I'm in the beginning of my maybe fall or maybe I'm in my winter. My, my, I'm beginning my winter of life or maybe I'm in the fall of my life, but I'm more concerned about my health now. And I know that if I eat a lot of pancakes for breakfast and a lot of those amalasadas and all of that stuff, that when I eat those, they taste so good and I would want to go for them over and over again that they will give me a sugar high that will send me up. And of course, you know how badly I need that, right? So I could take that. The problem is about an hour and a half, two hours later, I'm going to drop like a rock. So they tell me that what I need to do is eat quality food that's sustaining the right food groups in the morning. And I must eat breakfast because that's going to give me that balanced energy throughout the day. Now, why am I telling you that? That's a little bit like God's grace. I can go ahead and psych myself up for a particular event. I can drink a lot of coffee and that might give me a lot of courage to take a risk and do some exciting things. But I'm going to tell you that it's, it's an external thing based on a blood thing rather than upon an internal thing based on a spirit thing with God. And that's where God's grace comes in. So how does God's grace strengthen me? Well, first of all, it's God's grace that allows me to go to heaven by faith alone. And you know we often say around here, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And so I'm strengthened just to know that I know that I know that I have no doubts. You're looking at a sinner up here with my sins paid for by God's grace. He's going to let me into heaven. 
because he loves me and he showered that grace upon me. But that grace keeps me saved. That grace also disciplines me. That grace also gives me this yearning to know that he's coming back and I'm looking forward to him for him coming back for me. And that's that grace that strengthens me. So this world is no more as meaningful to me because I have another world that grace is preparing me for. And so that's what I'm strengthened with. So then we looked at our first character. When we talked about a teacher, Scripture said. And we talked about sharing truth for future generations. So if you want to write in your little margin there, I just want to give you one word to kind of tag onto that. I talked about him taking the next generation and being faithful and teaching that next generation, committing the word to that, to people who will then take it to the next generation. So here's your word, one word, faithful. That if you want to be a hero, then you need to be faithful. Faithful of taking God's truth to the next generation, to the next generation. And you want to be out there doing that. And I hope that you are. I hope you're mentoring the next generation. I got thinking about our praise team up here that's saying, weren't these kids great today? Didn't they do a good job? Let's thank them for that. Shall we do that? Well, let me tell you that behind the scenes, there are three faithful groups. First, there's Pastor Dennis, because he's with them every week. He's got to put up with these kids and help them and focus and all that. The second would be every single one of their parents and caregivers that's behind these kids that take them to places and encourage them and pray with them and, and all that stuff. And then we had Dawn that was up here because she practiced with them on Friday night while the rest of us might have been doing something else. She was working with the kids to make sure that they were together. Faithfully mentoring them so they would know how to sit, how to hold a microphone, how to project the song, how to sing from their heart. And I think that's a little bit what a teacher does. That's a hero, faithfully taking the next generation and adding value to those kids that want to take it to the next generation. In my journal recently, I wrote, for my life, I want to make a difference with the people who want to make a difference with the people who want to make a difference. That's who I want to be. But here's the second one. He's a soldier. It says, you therefore must endure hardship. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one engaged in warfare, entangles themselves with the affairs of this life. Then he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I got a chance to call our dear friend Robert Sepulveda and his wife Robin. And you know they have a little boy named Noah. What a great kid, Noah. She's with child. She's got two, she's going to have twins. And I said, you know, I know she's due any, probably another month. But if you can bring Robin out for one more time for us to hug and love on her before she has to cocoon for a while, it would be great. So Robert, tell me, when are you going to be shipped out? He says, I have maybe next summer I'll be deployed to Afghanistan and I'm gonna, or I, I, Iraq. And that automatically put in front of me a gallery of men and women even in our church that have surrendered to do military duty. And we put down here that you have to be separated from this lifestyle to be effective and successful. But I chose one word, and here's the word focus, focus, focus. All right, put the one word focus down. If we want to be a hero, we can't scatter our life. We've got to focus and do what God wants us to do because the world is going to try to uh, take us out of focus to scatter us so that we, it will, what's the word I want to use? It will... Um, demotivate us because if we're doing too much then we're gonna we won't be as strong as we need to be so focus is the best word the next is an athlete so he says to to Timothy he says strive according to the regulations and also if anyone competes in athletics he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules that no matter how Christian you are if you are a hero a hero could be a good teacher a hero could be a great soldier but I'll tell you a hero will only be successful if they follow according to the rules or the regulations so I put down here do it fairly do it fairly. You know, you've got to play by the rules and you've got to do it fairly. Well, then we move to the next figure that he gave him, and that was a farmer. 
And uh, someone came up afterwards and says, you don't know much about farming, Pastor. And I don't know, maybe I didn't make myself clear last year. Maybe I'm not too good of a farmer. But I do know scripture says this. The hardworking farmer must be first partaker of the crops. A farmer must be hardworking. He's got to stay by the stuff. He's got to work hard. Otherwise, he won't have crops. Whether it's to break up the soil, whether it's to fertilize the soil, whether it's to plant the seeds, whether it's to water the flock, or the, 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 the field, or whether it's even to keep the birds from coming to get all the seed that he's planted. Whatever it is, a hero has got to work hard. There is no armchair Christians. There's no armchair true heroes today. So the word I put down there is fervently. We've got to get after this thing here. It's fervent. And I want you to know that our sovereign God is putting before us the month of October on our calendar with many things going on from our No Fright Kids Night to those people coming in from Houston to activities in our own facility right here. People we're trying to tra train. And then you have your own ministry. So we've got to stay by the stuff. I one time was uh, at a conference, and whether or not you like this guy or not, that's between you and God, and you deal with it. But I had an opportunity to talk to Rick Warren when, he, when I was in Southern California. And in a, uh, a time of talking to him, I heard about he's building this church, he's got all this stuff going, he's got all these books, he's got all these ministries, he's going around the world, he's doing all of this stuff. And I'm looking at myself, I've got 100 people to shepherd, and I still get up at 3.30 and 4 in the morning trying to keep up. How do you do this, I asked Rick. And I was expecting to hear, well, I pray and I fast. You know what he said to me? He says, I don't watch TV. Isn't that profound? And I really liked his approach because he didn't watch TV because it's so bad. No, it was because I don't have time for that. He said, you know, you can watch one show and you know what the whole program's about the rest of the season that it's on. He says, I don't need that kind of stuff. People are dying going to hell. And he says, I have got to give my life and I don't have so much for it. So it's the good, better, best principle. And there's something better I can do than that because I want to strive for the best. And so I think of a farmer that's out there. He's got to be out there in the blistering sun. At times he's got to be out there in the rain. And sometimes when he can't work in the crops, he's got to work on his tools. But he's a hard worker and that's a hero. Now I don't know where you are, but, but where I am theologically, I have to serve the Lord in the flesh. And probably a better way to say that is I'm not talking about the flesh of the old nature and all of that, but I only have this right here to serve him with. And this is God's temple, so I've got to keep it healthy, and I've got to keep it moving, and I've got to keep it using for God's glory. And so those are the four we covered. Now I want to give you three more in the little bit of time that I have left. And so the fifth one he brings to Timothy here, if you want to be a hero, he then throws in front of him the workman. You've got to be a workman. Very similar to the hardworking farmer, but a little bit different. This one is one who studies accurately. In other words, you've got the teacher who's going to work very hard at making sure that uh, truth or information gets to the student. This one says, besides just getting the information out, you've got to make sure that the information is correct. And so this is talking about a workman that really studies, really prepares themselves. So let's look at the verse together. Would you read it out loud, everyone together with me, will you? Here it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. And so this is most specifically speaking about knowing the book, knowing the Bible. Now, if you don't mind, I want to just back up a little bit. I know that some of you that are listening to me today could be underneath the umbrella called a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. I'm being kind of a little facetious, but I think you know what I'm saying. Whatever your career is, your career is very valuable. But I know that you know now that whatever your career might be, it's driven by your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in order to function in whatever career or calling that you might have, you want to make sure that you're doing it on all biblical eight cylinders that God has for you. That's why it says we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Here it doesn't talk about getting it out. Here it's talking about getting it right. Did you hear what I said? 
It's not talking so much about getting it out right now. You can get it out, but you've got to make sure you get it right. And to do that, it takes a workman who's going to rightly divide the word of truth. And you'll notice the little bullet points we have up on the screen for you. And you might want to write them down if you want to in your little margin there. A person who's a workman who studies accurately is going to be ashamed of nothing. You don't need to be ashamed because you did it right. I had a wonderful talk with uh, Brian today and he was talking to me about our friend Stephen who works with our slides and how grateful I am for Stephen doing that. Stephen is in school. He took his very first test. 200 questions on that thing. He only missed two. I got thinking, boy, he must have really walked around like a peacock. You know, I only got two wrong. I got all these right here. And I think this too, Stephen. The two that you got wrong, they're really right. They were just wrong at the headquarters, all right? That's what, amen, all right? Well, I'm saying is simply this. There's no reason for that young man to ever feel ashamed for the quiz that he took because he studied, he did it right, he knew his stuff when it was laid in front of him. His mind was clear and he was focused because he paid the price the night of the day or maybe the morning, you did the work. And that's what we want to do. We want to study to get it right because we're going to have to give an account of this. I heard a funny story one time about an elderly lady and nothing against elderly ladies because I'm, I'm getting to be an elderly guy, all right? So we talked about this elderly lady. She was in the church a long time but she never read her Bible, never read her Bible. Just it was there occasionally maybe. But, but now she's reading her Bible every day. You come and visit her. What you know? I'm reading my Bible. You call her, what have you been doing today? Reading my Bible. And so they asked her, why are you reading your Bible? You didn't read it much before. Why do you read it now? She says, I'm cramming for the final exam. And uh, I'm, I'm a little just on that, but you know what? We are going to have to give an account of what we know because what we know is how we'll feel and how we feel is how we behave. And we've got to know the book. And there's no excuse for us to not know the book. You're in a Bible teaching church. You've got wonderful Bible teachers in our connection groups, guys that really work hard to rightly divide it to help you. You have a class here called Spiritual Maturity to show you how to study the Bible for yourself. Pastor Dennis has been teaching that to the kids. So you can know it, but you've got to work hard doing it. And that's what this workman is all about. So you're unashamed of nothing. Why? Because you have accuracy in your interpretation and application. So to apply it properly, you have to interpret it properly. And then finally, what is the result of that? You're going to be approved of God. God's going to smile down on you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've got to know the book. Some of you that are a little bit on the outside of this and you're saying, but I don't know if I really know how to study the book. I don't know about hermeneutics and dispensations and I don't know how to do this properly. Let me tell you, we're going to begin a new class here. Brian Atkins is going to teach it and it's called Discipleship. And what he's going to do, you might think, how does that fit in? He is going to spend time with you in class and outside of class to teach you how to teach yourself this book so you can come alongside a family member or a friend and do the same with them. We've got the tools here to do it, and I'm so excited. And here's the, my passion. We've got just these many folks here. I can only imagine if this church had 100 more people than this. We want to reach this island for Christ, and so it's winning them and training them. But we have to do it accurately. All right, the next one is a vessel. All right, so he now tells Timothy, you want to be a hero? Let me show it to you how it's seen in a vessel. It says here, spotless for use. I like this word, spotless for use. Let me read this verse to you. You might want to get your pens ready. I'm going to read it quickly, and then I'm going to have you circle some phrases in here, if you'd like, just so it stands out of the page. It says this, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now what you want to do is you want to underline the phrase, great house. 
Now we could talk about a great house could be your house. You live in a great house. We could talk about a great house right here in this church. We're kind of a great church. Not a big church, but we're a great church. But actually in context, I believe it's referring to the house of God, which would be the church of God, the, the universal group of believers. So in God's family, in God's church, in God's household, in God's house, he's got different kinds of vessels that are there. Now let's stay with me, go back. It says gold and silver, wood and clay. Circle the words gold and silver, and then the second phrase is wood and clay. Now let me tell you what that's not saying, then I'm going to tell you what I think it is saying. It was talking about being a vessel, a hero here. He does say that there's going to be some vessels that are going to be gold and silver. For whatever reason, that particular vessel is going to have a certain grace that God gives to them that will be grace, will be gold and silver. That doesn't mean necessarily that you'll be wealthy, but that you're going to be uniquely divine, designed by God, and that will be what we're going to call a particular gold and silver vessel. Now here's what it's not saying. When it says wood and clay, it's not saying that's a dirty vessel, these are the better vessels. It's not saying, it's just saying in God's house there's all kinds of vessels. Now if you opened up our refrigerator at our house there, you're going to find, you're going to find a gallon in there, you're going to find a half a gallon in there, you're going to find some pints in there. So inside this great refrigerator there's going to be different kinds of vessels. It doesn't matter that one is bigger or smaller than the other one, they're just different vessels. That's talking about size. Now we're going to talk about quality, not quantity. Alright, if you came to our house um, Carol has certain kinds of dishes. All right, she has dishes for you who are our guests. Those generally are the dishes that we, believe it or not, won when we were engaged at some girly shower thing. I can't even remember. Just Carol won all these, you know, dishes. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.